three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we get to talk to some pretty interesting people from all different walks of life of how failure has improved their life, maybe not in the moment when it happened, but how it has made them better, whether it's in their career, in their family, in their love life, anything. And we just share that to add value to our lives, to the people's watching's lives, and to kind of process some of these events as we go through that journey together. And today we have Jody Lane. Jody is an assistant regional director at Raymond James Corporation, also a landlord. I added that part. You did not put that in your intro. And a yoga instructor. She has successfully managed to combine two incredibly different industries to create a really fascinating harmony for professional harmony for herself and the people around her. And I have known Jody since my first big girl job at Raymond James, <laughs> fresh out of college. And I, we both were in such different places in our lives. Um, oh, so it's me. really cool to see how you've evolved since then. How many, that was 2015. So it's been almost 10 years now. So it's yeah. going on seven, seven, yeah, maybe eight. Yeah, so why don't you, it's insane how much fast time passes. But when I met Jody, when I was still living in uh, the Tampa area, she was not a yoga instructor. She was not an assistant regional director in the space that she's in now. She seems so much happier. So I'm kind of excited just for you to walk us through how that transition happened. So why don't you start there? How did you go from where I met you to where you are now? So it's kind of a roundabout story. I'll just give you a little background just to fill in the blanks. I started at Raymond James when I had my daughter. So I had my son at 22 and I had my daughter at 27. And I was like, okay, you need to have a job that has insurance um, because it's, you know, it's, it's responsible enough to have children without a plan. But now that you have them, you better get a plan together. So I got a job at Raymond James just processing paperwork and you know worked my way up. When I had um, Ella Jet, I just got my AA. So, you know, I tried to go to school with a brand new baby and starting a career and it was hard. It was not great. So I stopped and I basically went on and off um, until 2018. I called it the 27 year plan. So, you know, I moved up in my career and once I got to asset management, I had a pretty good job. You know, it was interesting. It was market related, so it never got old. Um, I don't feel like it was the most gratifying area to be in, but it was, you know, stable. But I didn't feel like I wanted to go ask somebody for a job without that piece of paper, even though in my soul I knew I didn't need it. You know, people want to see you can jump through those hoops. And as you know, there's admin assistance with master's degrees these days. So I knew in the back of my head, you know, like as soon as I graduate, I am going to, you know, look for a new job. So I graduated in 2018 and my reward to myself was to take a yoga teacher training that I had, you know, been working on and off long story short, two jobs for most of my life. And so I finally gotten to the point where I didn't need to work two jobs anymore. I had accomplished this goal of getting um, through college. And so I went to yoga teacher training and my kids always marked my life as before YTT and after YTT because it changed me so much. <laughs> it was a really beautiful experience. And while it wasn't the smoothest, I don't think, you know, it wouldn't make sense for my journey to be any different than it has been. So um, I got that behind me and did some things in my home and um, I called Jody Perry, who is a friend of mine, who's 
president on the RJFS side, the independent um, side of Raymond James, and said, you know, should I go on the road for asset management? So those of you who don't know, there's a lot of traveling involved sometimes in sales. Mm-hmm. And anyway, after a discussion, she said, you know, I think you might like a role over here in, in regional management. And it was a really awesome experience to go to a different place and have your skills that you bring to the table, such as health and wellness, viewed as um, an asset, not a detriment, you know, like you did, I don't have to fit in the mold in the job that I'm in. And some of the things I bring to the table are, are unique and valued. So it was good. I think if I wouldn't have gained confidence over all that time, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, make that move. But um, it's been a great, it's been a great transition. My boss, Kirk Bell, he um, is really supportive of the health and wellness initiative. So I did a four-week um, meditation series recently with my financial advisors where we did um, so cool. a Friday for four weeks in a row. So every Friday for the week, for the month of January, and I taught a different breath technique every time. And it just basically explored, you know, neuroplasticity and how your brain can rewire itself and how you can activate your sympathetic nervous system to get yourself out of fight and flight and just some tips and techniques that people can use. Because no matter what your job is, stress is part of life, especially having come through COVID. So it's been a really great mix for me to support financial advisors, but also be able to dabble a little bit in the things that make my heart happy. So, Well, it's it's not only, it's, it's a fascinating mix, but I'm also was incredibly, I was just surprised you were allowed to do it. So it's for people watching who don't know Jody, she is just like a bona fide hippie. So just her being in the corporate structure that we met in alone was kind of like, what is this chick doing here? Like she's like, this is math and, and she's like laid back and chill, which is probably why you were so successful at it because it was refreshing. People weren't expecting to speak to someone like you when, they, when they're getting sold. When I met you in asset management, you could tell you were on autopilot though. Like I didn't meet you you know, coming into that role, you'd already been there for several years and you could tell this was a stepping stone to something else by the time I got there. Um, When you made, I guess, at what point did you approach your boss now about combining those two things? And how did you do that? Yeah, so we talked about it when I interviewed for the role. He had a focus that he wanted. He, Our team um, motto is taking advisors from functioning to flourishing. And I think the way that he views it is you have to look at the whole person. Our personal lives are part of the game. And if one area of your life is off, then it kind of throws everything else off. And I think um, having that open mind and approach that's like, you know, let's talk about some of the things that are interesting to you. So I think whereas when you met me, like, call me a hippie or whatever, I felt like a fish out of water that was looked down upon as, you know, not professional enough or, you know, maybe too real. Um, But when you're working with the people that I work with, it's actually an asset to not have any pretense, to not have, you know, a big ego about you. Yeah, so I think I'm relatable. And I think that helped in that past job, whether management recognized it or not, isn't really relevant to me, you know. I can say that now, Kendall. You know, at the time it was like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm a really great employee. Mm-hmm. Like, why why don't you see that in me? But, um, you know, in hindsight, you project what you feel about yourself, right? And then people pick up on that energy. So I just am 
in such a different place. And if I think about even who I was outside of work when I met you and who I am now, um, I was just talking to a good friend of ours, Heather. Um, we went for a walk this afternoon and, you know, I can think back to different situations during that time period. And, you know, I just, this is the first time in my life that I've really felt like I actually know what I like and who I am. And I see the characteristics about myself that always made me feel like I didn't fit in as an asset now. And I think that's a shift that was twofold. One was getting out of an environment, which is a sales environment that's a high pressure job. And then being under different leadership where they um, are willing to look at a whole person and say, you know what, wait a minute, maybe this isn't what everybody else is doing, but maybe this is what we need. Maybe, maybe this will be an asset to the team. And it has been, you know, it's been oh, really good no, and for sure. it's been fulfilling. How, how would you describe, we probably should have started with this, how would you describe what you do to people who don't understand our industry? Yeah, so there's like four main things that I do in my job. Um, so I cover the central division of the United States, and so this, we split the region in half. I cover Oklahoma, half of Texas, North Dakota, South Dakota, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. And there's about 550 offices across our whole region, so I might cover 300, something like that. So I go out and I visit with the offices. I ask them how their experience at Raymond James is going. You know, is there are there areas we're falling short? Um, I look for ways that I can add value to their business. Can I add minutes into your day? Is there a way that we can be more efficient? What are the areas of the firm that are working well? And where what are some things that you'd like to learn more about? So that might be getting a group of advisors together for a study group and we're right now we're doing a lightning round series where we're doing 15 minutes where we spend 15 minutes a week to introduce them to a different area of the firm to just gain um, familiarity with the different resources that are available um i work in the recruiting side of things so we're vetting advisors that are looking to join raymond james that's a part of what we do um compliance obviously is somebody runs afoul, they're doing something that is inappropriate, we have to deal with those types of issues. Um, and then just basically business enhancement and relationship building. So I'm going next week to Colorado for a few days, and the week after that I'll go to Northeast Texas. And it's really nice to go to these different towns and get a feel for what the communities are like and what their needs are because every place is so different. As you can imagine, that's a wide swath of the U.S. that I cover. So the people in Montana are different than the people in Colorado and Texas. So it's, it's been really good for me. It's made me a much more open-minded person to other points of view. Um, you know, I'm not saying I think I know everything, but just seeing something from a different perspective is really helpful. It gives you a better understanding of what guides people and makes them tick, if you will. Well, first of all, you have some pretty awesome states in your territory. Like Montana is definitely my favorite state. Uh, and then Wyoming, the beautiful states, gorgeous. Wyoming, Colorado. Uh, I mean, like you got some mm -hmm. really, and ones that I would say that the general stereotypical culture really aligns with, like like nature and beauty, things that yeah. you're really, really into. Um, yeah. That's, I didn't realize, I didn't even really understand the full scope of your job. So that was, that was good for me to yeah. finally hear that. How, how important was the switch in leadership across the different roles, like st the leadership style and making you feel more confident in your job? It was, it was really everything, you know, but there's also, it's, it's a different ask. 
So being in a sales role, it's what have you done for me lately? You know, you have goals, you have budgets, you hit those budgets, they give you new budgets. It's, it's true. In and of itself, it's, it's a stressful environment where this is this is more of a supportive role, which um, is good for my personality. I like to help people. I like to be reactive. And while I do proactive things, um, a lot of what I do is what I would call putting out fire. So not every personality is geared towards that. You know, somebody wants a special exception on something or let me run the scenario by you is this going to be within the guidelines of what we can do um but i definitely don't feel the pressure that i felt in my old role and i think some of that is the personality of the leadership and some of that is the role itself but um i will say that the leadership i'm under right now is hands down the best leadership i feel like when it's not the when someone's looking for the right things you do it makes you so loyal and you want to make their life easier and you want to make things run well when you feel like no matter what you do, there's just going to be another goal, which is the nature. It's not to say anything bad about the role, but it's just the nature of the job. It just, um, it isn't as rewarding. Now, there were really rewarding aspects of that job, you know, like but, um, when I would meet with clients for by invitation only visits and high net worth clients would come in. You might get somebody that was a farmer that won the lottery, oh, lottery and being able to explain that's cool. um, complicated financial co- concepts to people and break it down simply is, you know, a skill that I have that, you know, came in really handy and I really enjoyed. I enjoyed people leaving saying, man, thank you. That was really cool. I feel like I understand so much better than I did when I came in here. Um, so, you know, there was pros and cons of each thing, but also I was in asset management I'll be, it'll be 25 years in January. I've been with Raymond James, and I was in asset management for 14 years. That's a long time to do something. So Very long time. There's, and, and the more product that comes out, the more you have to try to remember. And I just, what I loved about the market, then I suddenly didn't care anymore. And I'm a lot further away from the market than I used to be. And sometimes that doesn't feel great, but I surround myself with people that know, you know, so I kind of stay up that way, but um, I guess that would be the downside is I'm not as close to what's going on in the market as I used to be, but I don't feel like I need to be for the role that I'm taking on. I need to know more the regulatory landscape and you know the different issues that are going to be facing our advisors versus the ins and outs of the markets. So there's experts that handle that just fine, and I've, I've done that. So. Well, and that aspect is always going to be there, right? So that's the, that is the aspect that I love about my job is that it is that landscape is constantly changing and to me it's fascinating i couldn't imagine not following it but i think that if i found a job that really fed my soul in a different way it's something that i would still follow so that's always there yeah what um what experience whether it's life whether it's personal what experience of failure has had a major contribution to who you are today and how how well you're doing today so I don't think I realized that what my failure was until um, I switched jobs probably and maybe about, let's see, maybe two years ago. But I'd oh, say recently. I thought about this and, and my biggest failure was a failure to show up for myself in so many times in my life, you know. I put everybody in the whole world before me. Um, I put you know, work, just the fact that I've worked two jobs most of my life. I've made a lot of decisions where I put myself on the back burner to the point of not even knowing, you know, what I like or who I am. 
and kind of minimizing my assets and really just saying, well, if I could just make this person happier or that person happier, if everyone else is happy, I'll be happy. And that's bullshit. It's just not true. It's just not true. But I just couldn't see it. You know, I was really wrapped up into if I'm not the one who fixes it, it's not going to get fixed. And really, I just needed to remove myself from some toxic situations in order to have the space to be able to view things from a different perspective. So, you know, when you're a mom and you have small kids and there's you have a lot of pressure, I'm not saying I would go back and do things differently because, you know, I wasn't thriving. I was just trying to get by and doing the best I could. You know, you can armchair quarterback and look back and be like, you know, I should have left my marriage a lot sooner. I should have, you know, there's a million things you could have done different, but it shaped me to be who I am today. And I really am proud of, you know, what I've overcome because it's definitely, I've had a lot of challenges. Everybody has challenges, right? That's like the Buddhist saying where they send the monk out to look for somebody who's never had suffering and tells them to come back and couldn't knock on a door where you didn't run into suffering. That's just part of the game here that we live on earth. But I think I've just um, gotten to the point where I've learned to trust my empath and, and trust myself and value what I bring to the table. But I don't think you can do that when you're mired in toxicity, whether that's in a work environment or a home environment. Um, so, you know, what do I wish I would have got to this point sooner? Sure, of course. But, you know, I look at the example I set for my kids and, you know, I've created two beautiful human beings that know no limits to what they can do because they, they know that if they believe in themselves, they can do anything. And, you know, I'm proof of that to them. And they really see that in my journey. So that, that feels good. Well, the, and that's part of the value of that is, yes, you had a, a, a long journey that had a lot of struggle in it, but your kids... 27-year plan, baby. Yeah. Yeah, but your kids got, they were at the age to where they could have, they could appreciate that. They got to see it. So like a lot of, a lot of yeah. people that, I'm not going to say a lot, many people, maybe not majority, but a lot of their struggle happens early on in their life. And mm -hmm. it maybe doesn't last as long as yours did. And their kids, the people who could really take away something great from watching you go through that, don't remember it. Your kids witnessed it, so they that's something that they'll hold close to them the rest of their life. I think that seeing you struggle is something they'll pull strength from when they're struggling. Yeah. If that, and I if think I seeing them, I think them seeing me finally show up for myself is like, okay, yeah. I think that means a lot to them. And at a time, because they're both adults, if you don't know her children, at a time where they can appreciate what that means, right? They're not eight or nine. They saw you show up when they were also adults and they they can apply that to their own situation when they come across it as well. I think that there's and a I think that's the key. I, I think that's the key is when they come across it, right? Because until you have something relatable in your life, it's hard to absorb from, it's hard to learn from other people's words, like experience teaches. So when you hit a spot in your life that's kind of reminiscent of something like, oh, yeah, mom went through that actually, you know? So until until it resonates with you, and I'm sure you know that, right? Looking at your parents, seeing them from a different perspective as a mom yourself. Oh my gosh, you it's life-changing. So differently. It's life changing. Yeah. I mean, I I've apologized to my mom a lot. Um, I don't. We don't have yeah. the most like incredible, perfect relationship. But having children made me realize that she 
her and my dad are just trying their best. And I've said this in other episodes, but I think before I had kids, and especially as a teenager or a young adolescent, I looked at my parents as like they they were supposed to have all the answers. And when they Mm -hmm. either led me astray or they didn't handle something the way maybe I thought it should have been handled, I would get really upset because I'm like, how could you mislead me? You have all the answers. You chose Mm. to mislead me. And as a parent, I realized that I, I mean, I still looked at my parents as my parents, but now it was more as like these imperfect human beings who are have no idea yeah. what they're doing. They're just trying to do their best with everything they have going on. And that revelation, which might seem silly to people watching this, I mean, but it was like a light bulb moment. So now whenever something happens in my f- familial relationships, I'm like, they're just doing their best. Yeah. Grace is the word that I use Grace. For it. You know, it gives you grace. Is it great for other people because, you know, like I had no business having a kid at 22 years old as a bartender and, you know, like what, what kind of decision was that to make, you know, luckily it turned out okay, but no, you know, and the funny thing was I I had been in that really bad car accident. I got hit by a semi-truck and. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that, Jodes. Yeah. And I knew I was going to get money from this lawsuit, you know, which I ended up getting like $35,000. So. That's hysterical in and of itself that I thought that somehow that was going to set me up to be able to be a mom. But I did make a good decision. Um, I bought a house with apartments in the back and I rented the apartments and the apartments paid for more than my mortgage. So I made some smart calls and my sister was pretty helpful in kind of guiding me of, you know, what to do. Um, But I remember thinking, well, you know, I don't really have a good reason to have an abortion because I'm going to have money. And, you know, like it's my fault. I wasn't responsible, which like looking back at it now, like, that is such ridiculous logic but that's where I was at you know I was like you know you're irresponsible you need to do the right thing and you know of course I don't view it that way now and everything turned out great and I have two beautiful kids but what what a roll of the dice that was (laughs) I bet that that I I can't imagine how difficult that because right now I'm studying to take my 65 on Friday and I am yeah yeah I'm I'm not doing as well as the first time I took it, which was, oh my God, like you hear people say this, but when you are studying for a test of of this magnitude and complexity with children, it is just, Mm. I couldn't imagine doing that when I was younger and just didn't have the patience or the, just the wisdom that I have now. Cause I was 21 the last time I took that, that was almost eight years ago. And it's so much harder. So I couldn't imagine being at that age and having kids and then going, trying to go to school, then getting a job. I, I mean, that happens every day in this country around the world, but I, more power to you because I've broken down a couple times these past two weeks. Just mainly the part that has gotten me, um, is just the sacrifice hurts a lot more now when you have kids, right? Because if I'm studying, because after this, I'm going to go and study till probably 3 a.m. It's almost, it's at the expense of seeing my kids. And that's yeah. hard. And as a, as a young woman, basically a child having a kid, I don't know mm-hmm. how I would have processed that emotionally. Yeah. I, I um, got my Series 7 a year after I started Raymond James, and I think um, Ella Jett would have been like 3, and Noah would have been 7. Um but I got my nine and 10 for this job and it was 
it felt a lot more overwhelming. Of course, you don't remember so, so long ago, but um, the studying was just not enjoyable, that's for sure. Not at all. Um, I wanted to re I wanted to rewind back to something you said before we got a little bit off topic, and that was being a people pleaser. Were you always like that? Was that a childhood thing, or did that happen due to yeah. insecurity with your marriage? No, I was a, I was a, I've always used humor as my coping mechanism. So when I was younger, I was the class clown. I was the one trying to like keep everything together by everything being funny. Um, I grew up in a super religious family, so we were at church all the time, but like it felt hypocritical kind of church, you know, where it's one thing at church and another thing at home. And um, so I always was the peace. I was, I was the peacekeeper and my way of keeping peace was just trying to walk on eggshells so that, you know, everything was okay. So I felt like if I could just balance enough plates in the air, spin enough plates at once, then everything would be okay. But it was, you know, at the detriment of myself. I mean, when you're younger and you're a kid, survival mechanism when you move into a marriage it, I feel like it's a lot more soul crushing than you know you don't I guess you don't know the difference but then as you get older you see the patterns you're repeating what's soul crushing you know, throughout that um it's more soul crushing as a parent trying to like function in a toxic environment and when you're I don't know. I mean, I guess that's probably not necessarily true. But I think as a kid, I guess I just didn't. I had the, the home life to deal with, but I didn't. I didn't have other people I was responsible for. I guess that would be the big difference. You oh, know, yeah, you've got sure. three people. You know, I put my husband in the somebody I was responsible for category. No, definitely. I mean, I feel sometimes like I'm responsible for AJ. But your yeah. situation was a little bit yeah. different. Do you yeah. think your kids, how do I word this correctly? Do you think your kids have trauma of their own from you being like that? They definitely have trauma from things that they've gone through because of my actions, because of me staying in a situation that wasn't healthy for too long, that impacted them negatively for sure. And those are probably the hardest things that, and you know, time I can't get back especially with Ella, you know, when she was 15 years old and she was going through a lot and I had a new boyfriend and I was excited about it and she was hurting from a divorce and, you know, felt like she lost her dad and her mom at the same time and we've talked about it and we've worked through it. And I was, I'm not saying I was the worst mom in the world, but definitely a blind spot. But, you know, she was able to understand that I was coming off of years of being so unhappy that I was just happy to be happy, you know, to not be crying every day. And so... You know, I've heard her and she's been able to hear me and, you know, God, I wish, I wish I could go back and be like, this is not important. This is what's important, you know? Um, and like, I'm, like I said, it's not like I was a total drop of the ball because she didn't want to be around me. And so I went, well, you don't want to be around me anyway. But like, looking back on it, I would have been like, you know what? I don't care if she wants me around or not. I'm going to be here so that whether she wants me around or not, she knows that I'm here. Um, and that's something that I have the bandwidth for now that I didn't at the time. That's probably one of my big regrets when it comes to like the parenting side of things. But I think that's beautiful that that you can recognize that and talk about that with her. So like, 
I mean, obviously, as parents, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fuck up your kids, guys. Like, there's no getting around that you will fuck up your kids. I think how you handle, how, how you traumatize your children after the trauma has happened is what makes or break, breaks parenting. So what advice would you yeah. give to young parents or par- maybe parents of young teens or maybe kids that are your age? Yeah. How do they cope? How, how do you fix some of that? Well, one thing that I learned through therapy, and I, and I really credit my therapist and Elijah and I see the same therapist, and Noah sees him occasionally, but um, boundaries, man. When, when, when you grow up letting people push through your boundaries and you teach your kids that they can push through your boundaries and you're not doing them any favors by rescuing them, you know? So it was tough when I first started putting up boundaries and I was able to like, hey, listen, I don't care how mad you are regardless of which child is you can't talk to me like that that's not going to work for me so here's what's going to happen next time something goes down and things escalate i'm going to walk away and we're going to revisit it the next day that was not an easy place for me to get to so i would say start start early don't feel selfish having those boundaries um i also was one of those parents that um and i've learned some of this Instagram's a freaking beautiful thing for parents. Some of these um, child psychologists give the best advice, just little short snippets of how to handle things. Like, I was big on, my parents always said, because I said so, and I was like, I'll never do that to me, because well, I over-explained everything to death, you know? (laughs) And then you create these master manipulators that can just, you know, talk their way out of anything, because you've taught them, if they come up with the right right enough spiel and a a good argument, then they they have some wiggle room, you know? So I've seen some of the things on Instagram that I'm like, man, I wish I had that, where she'll say, no, you tell the kid, you know, no, you can't do that. And I, I know that you're going to be upset about that. And you just take as much time as you need to be upset because I'm sure that's disappointing, but that's not something we can do today. I was like, what? What? <laughs> so allowing them to have their feelings, but not like having to renegotiate it for 20 years. So... There, That's actually there's really some good advice. things about the internet, but there's um, some really great um, I just about was internet. talking about this last night that, yeah, everyone I feel like is constantly making fun of millennials for spending so much time on the internet, but it's kind of like the, pow- the power's in your hands on how you want to use it, right? There's so much yeah. free resources on the, especially social media. Like there's so much free advice on there. Yeah, sure, you're going to have some people that give you like just enough to make you like click on their link, but there's also a lot of yeah. profiles like what you're talking about that will give you yeah, something that you would have had to pay hourly for. That's totally. that's what and simple simple little 5 minutes that are going to be like uh, I mean, I've had so many profound friends, like, that have teenagers They'll like send it, hey, do you follow, if you don't follow so-and-so, they have teenagers that are 15, 16, they're going through the same, and it's like you feel like you have an ally in your court that says, here's a simple way, do this. It's like, oh, like, you know, it's just stuff you don't know, and if you have an open mind and you're willing to spend the time in the right places on the internet, you know? Yeah, one of the, one can, of the biggest things, learn. so much, so like, and one of the biggest things I, as a parent, want to strive because I'm pretty early on in this whole parenthood thing but one of the biggest pieces of advice that I want to strive to live by I got from Instagram and and that was to always apologize to your children like you don't have to over explain but to apologize so there's times where I come home because there's many days where I come home and regretfully I have a really short fuse because I've just been making decisions all day and that's that takes a lot out of 
me at least. And I, I might yell at my kids who are literally babies for something that I shouldn't be yelling at them for. And then I'm, I, I take a deep breath. I process in my head like that was not, you should not have yelled at Kenny for this. She's three. Yeah. And then I go and I sit her down and I apologize and I tell her why I did that. Yeah. And I hope I'm not creating a master manipulator, but I do think it's valuable to show your kids early on that you are not perfect. Yeah. I don't think that, I think that's different. I think owning your shit is a very, very powerful and important thing. And it teaches your kids that they're not expected to be perfect either, you know, that they're allowed to be human and they're allowed to make mistakes. And if you, if you can't ever be vulnerable or wrong in front of your kids, then you're creating people that are going to have a hard time taking a look at themselves and admitting when something goes wrong because they just are striving for perfection. Yeah, for sure. I think that in, in my childhood, it's it's funny when I hear like my mom or dad talk about my childhood or other people who knew me. They're like, oh, everything was just so easy for you. It wasn't like I, I constantly I attributed my value. I was I was a people pleaser. Like I would try so hard to do so well at something because I wanted someone to tell me I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And I took me a long time as an adult to figure out where that came from because I do the same thing as an adult I was doing it in my career as advisor I was taking on way too much stuff going far outside the scope of my work and setting an unrealistic expectation with my clients that I'd be able to sustain that Mm -hmm. level of service because I just wanted to be valuable to them and that that goes back to what you said you're being a people pleaser and that Mm -hmm. that caused me to have resentment towards people that had nothing to do with them because it's only like if you and that's where if those, I, yeah if, if I'm providing that level of service to them and then at some point I can't give it anymore but that naturally they're still expecting it that that's my fault that's not their fault that's where the boundaries come in though right because mm-hmm. you know you're handing out a slip of paper to someone saying you can treat me this way you can treat me that way like you're the one who's driving that show by creating boundaries that allow us to have a clear pathway. I think it's Brene Brown that says um, the happiest people are people with good boundaries. I agree. And I'm learning that now. I would say the last the last year I've gotten a lot more intentional with politely setting. I definitely think that we live in a world now where it's, it's like, you know, do what, what makes you happy. I think there's a, a happy mix there, right? Like you should still if you say you're going to do something, you should still strive to do it, but you should also look out for yourself. So I'm, I'm actively learning to set those boundaries. I'm getting better at it. How did you, so where I struggle is, or where I struggled is I would have these relationships, whether professionally or personally, where I already set the precedence of having little to no boundaries, but now I'm starting to set those boundaries, right? So there's going to be an obvious shift in that relationship. How did you, during your transition from people pleaser to independence, how did yeah. you, how did you start to set those? I would have conversations and say, you know, I want to look at the way that I show up in my life and how I'm gonna um, show up in my relationship with you is one of those things. And it's not easy for me to change dynamics, but I want to do it because I want to have a good, healthy relationship with you and. If I give too much of myself away, then I resent you for it, and that's not your fault. So you can help me by just 
bear with me as I start to institute these boundaries. And when I first did it, of course, you know, I think my daughter was like 17, so that was hard. But we both were willing to work on it. You know, we got in counseling and said, okay, we don't swear at each other anymore. That's a new boundary we're setting that. That's just no matter how mad we are, we don't swear at each other. And that's a starting, that's a starting point that we're both willing to commit to. And then slowly we would build off of that, you know. So, oh, um, cool. and then, and I am not as great at it with, like I do, still have it with friends I want everybody I want to be in a fun house to come hang out at and I want to you know try to get my time in with with everybody and sometimes it's easy to overextend that way but even then I feel like I'm pretty good at saying yeah I think I'm just gonna chill you know I, I've lived alone for a long time now so I'm pretty good at filling up my time but with my I would say mostly with my kids um, I've basically had a conscious decision to say like look I have some unhealthy patterns that I've created along the way whether they're from how I grew up or how I've been but this isn't how I want to show up in our relationship and luckily I have you know two people that want to evolve and be better people too you know yeah I would definitely say you're lucky that you have that because it, it can go a totally different way when you have people that are the opposite of that did you approach professional relationships in the same way I feel like you can't be that honest um, in a professional relationship. Yeah, I've struggled. I've definitely been caught when I'm traveling at offices where I've spent way too much time, you know, like four hours, which is well beyond the scope of what my intention was just because I wasn't sure how to try to wrap it up, you know, and mm -hmm. felt like maybe the person needed someone an ear to bend and I didn't really have anywhere that I had to be. But then afterwards, I still had a three hour drive that I had to do that you know, wasn't the healthiest thing for me or took on some emotional baggage from somebody that, yeah, they were having a hard time, but as an empath, then how do I rid myself of that? Because I still have, you know, seven more offices that I still have to get to to visit. And then how is that going to impact how I show up for them? So I did kind of learn the hard way and say, okay, I'm planning on spending this much time together, send a meeting request, or, you know, just make clear what your intentions are. Um, take your own car you know, so that you have control when you get into a situation. If you go out somewhere and you ride with somebody else, then you're kind of at their mercy as to when they want to leave. And, you know, I've pretty much cut out drinking. I might have a beer once in a while, but a lot of the functions that we deal with in, in a work environment are alcohol related. So, you know, when the time's mm -hmm. up and I'm done, I'm not going to go to the bars and hit the circuit with people. And I'm very frank with that yeah I'm not a big drinker it gives me anxiety um, but you guys have a fun time it was really nice catching up with you and then excuse myself and most people if you're not gonna if you're not gonna be on their vibe they don't want to hang out with you anyway so it's not like they're gonna hold it against you but you know it's that inner pressure that you put on yourself well I only see them this often you know so with work I would say it's been trial and error for me and you know going from being the expert in your field someone everyone comes to to answer questions to starting really from scratch um, in a totally different field totally different skill set totally different knowledge base it was definitely a harder shift than I thought it was because I'm like well what value am I adding in the beginning it was just my time you know my time that I'm willing to give you so now that it's been three years I have much more than just my time to add in value when I go visit people you know, I have a greater understanding of you know the 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 way that they need to navigate the organization and what can help them in their daily practice. 
And as you get more confident, you it's easier to set those boundaries, I think, mainly because you're more efficient、yeah. with how you deliver information. That that's a great example of what I was doing. I mean, with some of my earlier early clients, which I still have, I mean, some of our initial appointments would be four hours long because、yeah. they just want they needed to unload, and I just wanted to add value. So I would just. Mm-hmm. Lend my ear, like you said, but it was so、yeah. emotionally taxing. Like I remember,、it、I、is. sat at an appointment for like five hours one time and just listened to someone talk for ninety-five percent of it. And I got home and I was like, "What is wrong with me? Like, why can't I say、yeah. no, or why can't I exit, or、yeah. you know, wrap things up?" And that's something that. I learned not to beat myself up about because one, it's incredibly common when you get into a new career. To over, does it make it right? No, but it's something that、mm-hmm. a lot of people do, and I try to, when I see it happening, call people out on it and let them know that hey, I've been there. Try,、mm-hmm. try to spend some time addressing that on why you're doing this. What you can do to provide a solution so you're not, or especially time, you can't get back time. Right, and that is a hard one. And also the 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 resiliency to be able to shake off whatever you just experienced, right? Because if someone's spending four hours with you, chances are they've got some heavy stuff that they're, and some of it's probably related to their finances, and some of it is just related to their life. And you're somebody that. For whatever reason, you know, I think you and I are both empathetic people. We're both caring people. You provide a safe space for them to unload, and then, you know, what does that look like for you afterwards? So I definitely think,、um, what, especially when I travel,、um, meditation is a really big part of me setting myself up for the day. Just having that consistency of, you know, that 15 minutes—that's just mine. That no matter what, I bake into my schedule to kind of set the tone for. Okay. And here we go, you know, because it is intentionality is it's, it doesn't take long to go. Okay, I'm going to go in this meeting. I'm meeting with five people. This is going to be a good meeting. I'm going to connect with everybody. I'm going to see the light that's shining in each and every one of these people. Like I'll say that in my head, especially if I know I'm going into a situation that might be more challenging. You know, somebody that's going to have much different viewpoints on the world than I do. Um, how can I show up kind and professional when I disagree with a lot of things that they say?、Um, and so I think that intentionality is really helpful in what we do and for the kind of people that we are. Like kind of like an energetic boundary you're putting up for yourself. So you that's you my will, hippie shit. That you knew I was gonna throw no, it in. No, but、somewhere. like I appreciate it because these are these are things that people that you're definitely a hippie in more ways than one. But this is stuff that I. Wish more people act instead of just listening to people who talk about it. They actually did it because when I, and I'm not an expert in breath work, but and I would love to know your day to day breath work. But when I would sit, I need to get back to this. This is a good reminder, Jody. When I would sit before an a, an appointment, I would sit and I would take ten really deep breaths in, and then I would、mm-hmm. go like this. I learned that in Tony Robbins. I don't know why he just tells you to go like this and breathe really hard. And I guess it's just to. I don't know. Fill you with air. I'm sure there's a science behind it, but I would. The whole energy of that experience would begin with excitement, and I think that that, for at least my personality, that was a game changer. It、yeah. made it really made. But you're setting、difference. the intention. 
It, it really is because so much of what we create, I mean, our thoughts have energy that's proven, right? So every thought has energy attached to it. So if you can control what your thoughts are, you can control what your intentions are, you can control the outcome. So if you go into a meeting with the intention that I'm going to find something I connect with this person on and I'm going to show up in a way that's respectful of me and myself to where I don't feel like I'm compromising my integrity, but I also am going to show up for this person in a way that they feel heard and seen. And somehow it magically happens that way when you set the intention. I call it segment intenting, right? Intending so as you go through each part of your day, anytime you're switching from one thing to another, and I tell my advisors before you meet with a client, if you want to do the four, seven, eight, do you watch Ted? Have you ever seen Ted's Lasso? Mm-mm. Um, Ted Lasso. What is that? So there's a Ted Lasso's a show on, um, I think it's on HBO about a, um, I think it's a football coach that gets hired to coach soccer in England. It's a great show. But anyway, there's one scene where the psychiatrist is saying to, to don't forget your four, seven, eight. So on a way to engage your parasympathetic nervous system before you meet with clients or if you're feeling particularly stressed out, when I get stressed, my skin gets hot. And that's how I know, like, okay, something's pushing my buttons because, like, my, physically my skin feels hot. So you can um, inhale through your belly. So envision your belly filling up to the count of four. Hold your breath to the count of seven, and then slowly blow out. Reverse lift to the count of eight. It's called like a natural tranquilizer. It engages your sympathetic nervous system, so it's kind of a reset for you. So if you did five rounds of that before every client, you're just going to go into your meeting with a calm presence. So that's something that I've shared with my advisors. I had a group out in Oklahoma that we did a little meditation basics class, 15 minutes, and I did that technique with them, and they're all like, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel good. I'm ready to go through the rest of my okay, day. Okay, wait, so say it's it again so that. my brain remembers it. So you go so breathe with your belly. Inhale, yep, inhale in through your belly, through your nose, the count of four, so count to four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You can use a, I use a mala, pocket mala. And so for each round, I'll do a round of breath. So in four, hold seven, out eight, and then I switch to the next piece. I just go around one time and then my meditation's done. So it's for me having something to have my mind focus on. You go around that whole bracelet? Mm -hmm. How long does that take you? 15 minutes. Okay. 15 minutes. Yeah. But, you know, I say start slow. I remember when I first started meditating, 10 minutes seemed like forever. Uh, And now 15 minutes. I can do five. For me. Right now I'm at five. Five, yeah. Start with five. Hey, before, five before my is brain's five that everywhere. you weren't doing. Yeah. And, you know, that's normal. That's part of being alive and being human. So that's one thing that has really helped me is to stop the judgment. It's really about the observation, not the judgment. Because you're not doing anything wrong because your mind is, you know, that's what it's designed to do. It's evolved over time to be like, what should we be afraid of? And it, it, it creates problems if there isn't one. It's just going to be like, how can, we, how can we solve something? I want to be useful. So it's just doing what it's been trained to do. Do you have a, I'm sorry, did you, I remember when I was at your house years ago, you had a guided meditation that you used. Do you still use that? Yeah, I do. And there's a lady that you can get on Spotify. I'm Sarah Blondin. Oh my God, she's amazing. 
She's amazing. You sent me her stuff when I was going through yeah. uh, that recent catastrophe, the trading issue. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was just distraught. And I remember going on a run, which I don't run, but I needed to because I figured yeah. anything to clear my mind. And I've never run without music. But I was like, you know what? Let's see what this Sarah Blondin bitch has got to say. And I ran to one of her things and it was yeah. insane. I, oh my God, I cried. I cried so hard, Jody. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. I had to like go She's to the side of the road. Timer too. I can't find what's she Insight Timer. She's me through so many hard times. Insight Timer is an app that you can download. Um, and it's a meditation app. So it has hundreds, probably thousands of meditation teachers Are on there. Are there more of hers? But she has, um, yeah, there's a bunch more of hers. So the what's on Spotify, I believe is from the book she wrote. I haven't read the book, um, but I think with each chapter of the book comes a meditation. And so that's like the compilation of meditations, but there's some older ones that are on, um, there's one about change that I absolutely love off of Insight Timer. Um, she saved me and she, I think she definitely helped with my self-esteem issues for sure. Just, you know, like making you realize we are all perfect creations of God. There's like, we are worthy just from existing. You don't have to do or be anything or have anything or show anything or prove anything. You are worthy just from being alive. Yes. I mean, I can't remember the name of the one I listened to specifically, but she made something that will stick with me forever. She, she said two things that will stick with me forever. She said, move like water. And I was like, wait, that makes so much sense. And you had, you had, when I was talking to you and asking for advice on this particular situation beforehand, you had told me to lean in and, you know, stop trying to control it. And she said, move like water and approach every problem, not with anxiety, but with a sense of curiosity. Almost yeah. to say like, how is this going to turn out? Isn't this interesting? Yep. And I was just like, oh Isn't my this interesting? Because it it de it dearms everything, right? So mm -hmm. like we, it's, uh, your brain wants to catastrophize everything. That's what your brain wants to do. It wants to make a problem out of something. And you know, if you want to put it in Buddhist terms, situation is what it is, right? Like the story, the Buddhist story of me and my Buddhist stories. But there's a um, man whose son finds a bunch of wild horses, and the neighbor comes over and says, "Oh, how lucky for you that your son found all these horses." And the, you know, the father's like, well, maybe. And then the next day, the son is trying to ride one of these wild horses and falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbor says, oh, how unfortunate for you. Your son has a broken leg. And he's like, well, maybe. Well, then the army comes through and he doesn't go with the army because his leg's broken. So, you know, things just are what they are. And we want to make them mean something. And so, I mean, that's part of humaning for me is how can I just find just for the sheer joy of it, right? I just want to do it because... I want to try to be happy and if your joy is constantly dependent on a specific outcome that's, that's a recipe for disaster it is it i agree with that but that's not to, that's say, not to say that you can't strive exactly that's what exactly what I was about. Yeah. it's not to say that you shouldn't try that'd be like me saying well i don't want to take this test on friday so i'm just not going to study anymore no yeah. i think that there's beauty in accomplishments i think that yeah validating your existence and deriving value from your accomplishments is a dangerous game because you will never be satisfied. And that's where yeah. I'm finally starting to come to terms with is 
I don't need to constantly get these accolades. I don't, it's my value doesn't derive from my AUM. It doesn't derive by how much money I make. It's, I am happy when I can accomplish something and then be home by 5.30 and have dinner. Yeah. That's hap- That's a great day for me when I can accomplish something, impact my clients' lives, but then come home and see my kids before bedtime and like put them to bed. Like that to me is happiness. And before I thought that before the reason why I, I originally I didn't want kids was because I thought I had to choose. Mm. And you don't, you, you really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think you have finding a balance should be the main focus of, of people's lives yeah. and not this hyper sense of success and financial well-being, which is real rich coming from a financial advisor. But yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about not having to worry about finances. It's a huge, oh, for sure. huge accomplishment. And I'm just there within the last year um, to where I really don't feel worried about money anymore. Like, no, I'm going to be okay. Some of that, I've put my head in the sand, even though I'm a financial advisor, put my head in the sand not wanting to look at my financial plan because I felt like I was behind from my divorce from know all my circumstances and then when I actually took the time and looked at it which I looked at it with DJ mm-hmm. and I was like oh okay actually go bitch go yeah yeah I that my favorite my favorite aspect about my job is doing financial plans because I found that people think that they are so because we take all of our some experience specifically the bad ones because they're easy to remember and we use that to judge our mm-hmm. overall where we're at and a financial plan, they take me forever to do because if they're done right, they should. But when I present it to someone, they're like, oh, I'm okay. Like, it's just like, you just yeah, see, it is. you just see the weight come off of them. I mean, it's, it's my yeah. favorite thing to do and present are the financial plans. I, I haven't had yeah, one like, person oh, okay. just- who like was expecting yeah, it's like, yeah, you follow this, you stay disciplined. I always use conservative yeah, I just numbers. Keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, you just gotta keep doing what you're doing. You're most of the time you are better off than you think you are. So yeah, I won't take up too much more big. time. But how do you think failure has shaped you as a mom and as a professional? Hmm. Using adjectives. I think um as a mom it's made me very resilient and that's a really great characteristic that I really admire in myself is my resilience to adversity to um, just life in general Um, in a career I guess it's just made me feel like it's never too late to accomplish anything like I still have a lot of goals ahead of myself for when I retire and what I want to do with my yoga business and with retreats and how I'm going to use my space and I want to talk more about that. that You just feel like um, not in a big rush, like, oh, okay, you have all the time in the world. So I think having so many failures has just made me realize it's never over. It's not over till the whatever, till the fat lady sings. Is that inappropriate to say anymore? But I don't, you know, I used to be like, I'm so behind, I'm so behind. Now I'm like, oh, I'm just at this perfect place where I love my job and I have great advisors that I work with and I have really good friends and I have a beautiful property where I get to have a lot of creative outlets because I, you know, I really love making beautiful spaces and beautiful things and sharing them with people. So like I'm doing all those things and I don't think I would be where I am without all those millions. <laughs> I always learn things the hard weekend also. That's how I roll. 
I wouldn't say that. I mean, maybe it's because I met you after like the bulk of what you're talking about. Yeah. But, like even the failure you discussed, like none none of it was like you know your kids ended up in jail, right? Like you still yeah. even when I met you, yeah. The, especially Ella was kind of going through that hard teenage stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, she still has turned into one of the most beautiful people. They're both just amazing, and I couldn't yeah. be more proud of them. And, you know, the thing I think I'm proud of most of the mamas, they both have said, you know, with you and dad, I always felt like I could be whatever I wanted. Like, I always, you always believed in me, and there wasn't any idea that wasn't a good idea. And, um, you know, it was nice to be raised with somebody believing you because it made me believe in myself. So, oh, I, that I mean, that. That makes me want to cry, honestly, because I hope that there's a day where I, my kids say that to me. I mean, that would be like peak I mean, parenting right there. of course they are. They're going to do that. You're a great mom. You're just, just I'm watching trying. you grow and blossom. It's been awesome for me. Just, uh, you know, you were my kindred spirit when I first met you. I was like, I love this girl. This is weird. God. She's like my, younger than my son, but I was like, I love her. <laughs> I'm glad because here we are. There's no age sometimes. I, I want to hear a little bit about the, tell us about your yoga retreats and what you do at your home slash Airbnb slash long-term rental. What do they entail and how can people learn about that? So I haven't really been posting much on my Instagram, but I have Shakti Escapes. Um, so my um, LLC is Shakti Lane, but Shakti Escapes is the name of our little situation we have here. We've only done situation. one retreat so far and at the time, um, that I did it, I didn't have the Airbnb. So I have two apartments in the back, though downstairs is a one bedroom, the upstairs is a, is a two bedroom and a beautiful outdoor space for yoga and pool. So I, I Airbnb at the upstairs and right now I have a permanent tenant downstairs, but over the next year or so, I'm gonna take over the bottom space and have that as my yoga studio. And I'm exploring some more modalities as well um, outside of meditation and looking into some hypnosis and things in, in the wellness space that are also up my alley. So there's a couple of different designations I wanna get. I'm also looking at Renee Brown, Daring Greatly, I'm leadership training course. So I'm gonna do some things that will open up some coaching opportunities. I do coaching in my job now. But eventually, um, I would like to be able to host retreats here to where I could host up to eight people um, and I can stay in the bottom apartment when I host and then people can have the two bedroom up here and the two bedroom upstairs so that gives you comfortably eight people. The last um, workshop we did, we had we started out with a um, full moon ceremony and we set some intentions and some things that we wanted to let go and some things we wanted to manifest. Um, and then the next morning we did um, some yoga, some pranayama, some breath work. We talked about different breath techniques. We did um, a chakra class that we went through all the different chakras in the body and the different colors and the different mudras, the hand positions. And we did a um, 30 class yoga pose for like really getting into each pose and how to properly get in and out of the poses. We did a tea ceremony the last night. I had someone come in and do an Ayurvedic lesson on Ayurvedic cooking and Ayurvedic Ooh, eating. What's that? We had um, Ayurveda. It's like an Indian. Um, it's part. It's one of the limbs of yoga, but it's. it's I don't know a ton about it, but it's a certain type of way that you eat for your. It's called. I think it's called a dosha. Anyway, I had a specialist come in and do a dinner, That's and she cool. talked all about it. And then we had somebody come in and do crystal sound bowls 
And then um, the very last night, we went to this energy healer that's right down the street. So we all walked down there. So it was great. And we did some interpersonal exercises. We did a core values exercise um, where you chose through a cer certain series of exercises what your core values are. I think mine were um, freedom, resilience, making a difference, authenticity, and um, I can't remember what the last one is. Um, but your storied self versus your authentic self, the stories you picked up along the way with some of the exercises versus what is really true of you, and what are the stories that you've just been telling for a very long time, whether your parents told them to you or whether it's something that you've done. So we kind of had a nice balance of some yoga stuff, some interpersonal activities, really got to know each other. We had six, we had six people. Because that's a workshop. And it was really great. So what we did was two weekends. So they would come, they came on a, a Saturday night where we did the moon ceremony and then they left and then it was all day Sunday. And then the next weekend, it was um, all day Saturday and then just the morning on Sunday. So it was two weekends of commitment, two half days and two full days. And it was in um, March and the weather was beautiful. It was, it was a really great experience. Um, and we did it as a test. We didn't charge a lot of money, but it, it really gave me a good taste for what I can expect. And then I also thought about um, conscious bachelorette parties for people who don't want to drink, you know, that they don't want it centered Super and exercises cool. around, you know, just connection between you and the bride. I've got some ideas in that space. And then also, you know, kind of concierge experiences here where somebody wanted to bring a wedding party or a girl's trip. I, I just hosted seven girls. Um, which was a tight squeeze up there and the upstairs and we did um, a yoga session by the pool and we did a moon ceremony one night and it was beautiful it was really lovely it was um, a bunch of girls that were about to be like near 40 and they hadn't seen each other since the high school oh how cool so is that it's great you know it was it's, it's really I just know that the more I do it, the better I'll get at it. You know, as far as teaching yoga goes, when it's something that I'm doing more frequently, I, I think I'll, I'll grow in that area. Hopefully, that'll become the bigger part of my life as I'll get older. And that's that's called a workshop, or is that a retreat? Like, what's the difference between those two things? Um, well, that I called a workshop because you weren't sleeping over. So, a retreat, you know, you're you're really like leaving everything behind and staying for the weekend. So, we did it was a two weekend workshop series. Um, so, as soon as I um, take over the downstairs, I had some like financial goals to get all my debt paid off. Um, I took out some money to do the Airbnb, but I think by the end of next year, at the very latest, I'll take over that bottom space and then um, I'll be able to lock off the ones that I want to do retreats and then I just won't rent the Airbnb out when I'm doing retreats. So I'll probably do two or three a year to start out with. Yeah, that's so. really cool. I'm seeing it from a perspective of, well, one is a beautiful way to marry your current job with what you're really passionate about. Not to say you're not yeah. passionate about your job, but you're definitely, this is a soul-feeding um, venture, what you're doing with the, with your house, with your home, and bringing people into your energy, essentially naming your energy the dominant energy and giving it to other people to take home with them and continue to spread that, yeah. which is so cool. I see it as an opportunity for like something I can do, like a team building activity almost, like a yeah. for people that want that type of culture in their office. For me, it's really important for when I do have my own office to have a culture where everyone sees me vulnerable. I want them to feel comfortable being vulnerable. 
I mean, that's that's more important to me than making than making a ton of money doing what I'm doing. I want I want to be able 30 years from now to say, oh yeah, like you know, Destiny's been working here 25 years, and that's because we respect yeah. each other. And I think that things mm-hmm. like that really feed into that. That's cool. Yeah, I've done some team building things um, with my advisors, and I really like that a lot. And I'm, I'm definitely open to those kind of things, too. So really, pretty much the more time that I have, the more I'll be able to come up with ideas and content. So I guess the way that I see it is like maybe writing Raymond James out the next 10 years and really learning, you know, continuing to build my skill set and other modalities that I can offer. So when the time comes that... You know, I'll have yoga, meditation, and maybe a slew of other things under my belt so that if I did want to do consulting work or team building events or conscious bachelorette parties or whatever, I'll have a lot of different, I envision it like a menu where you kind of choose what your weekend looks like. Some ladies might want to go visit museums or go paddleboarding or whatever. So I can kind of say, okay, here's your menu. You can choose what you want to do. Do you want to do a moon ceremony? Do you want to, what do you want to learn about? Do you want to do an interpersonal activity where you know even those different tests that you can take where you learn the different personality types and learning to facilitate those where you can say okay here's why you don't always communicate well because this person has this style of communication and this person has this so even those types of things so I'm kind of kind of building my arsenal as the time goes by because it's great because it's helpful for what I do at Raymond James and it's also going to be helpful helpful for what I do on my own. In the last yeah. round of hiring, I made what you're talking about is an Enneagram test. And I made all yeah. the people I interviewed do an Enneagram test. And it's what are so you? helpful. I believe, oh my gosh, you would ask me that. I want to say it's a nine. It's been a couple I'm years. I'm a classic number seven. You are? I'm going to have to relook them up. I have. Mm-hmm. I need to re- go back and relook at my results. Because I remember taking that test and getting the number and been like, oh my God. That is me. The the best way is like how you handle conflict and the be, like. I that was the most valuable. I was like, okay, this is this is useful. I would be. I'm also yeah. really excited about the hypnosis. I mean, we don't have time to go over it tonight, yeah. but you have like the coolest hypno. You were the first person to ever tell me about that and to yeah. educate me on it. And like, I be, I can't remember exactly, but you showed me like a story. Um, of, of gosh, I wish I could remember the story that you gave me. We were first yeah. getting into it before you put yourself mm-hmm. through it, before you really yeah. dived into that. And I remember, okay, thinking to myself, well, let's see what happens with Jody. And you just came back with like yeah. the craziest story about like meeting yeah. yourself and mm-hmm. cool. everyone's going to listen to this and think we're crazy, but it was intense. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for you yeah. to do that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm I've got a list of things, so I'll just see, you know, what's available when. And it's just kind of like the right book comes to you or the right meditation or the right conversation. You know, I just come to the point where I kind of trust the path, right? So whatever shows up, I'm pretty sure that's what I'm... I think when you pray for guidance like I do, God hears your prayers, you know, spirit, whatever universe, whatever you want to call it, the consciousness that exists in the web that holds everything together. I feel like is actively vying on my behalf. Yeah. There's no other way to explain it of why I would be where I am. I think the more you invest into that relationship with your creator, the more things just unravel easy, easier. Like it's, it's yeah. you realize you don't have to force things. What's meant for you genuinely in my experience is that when I'm closer with my creator, when I'm talking to him, when I'm, 
reading about him and the way that that connects with me, things things just happen in my life. And I'm like, oh, you might, that for me, my creator doesn't talk, I, at least at this point in my faith, he doesn't talk back to me, but he shows me things. And I am so much mm-hmm. more readily, readily receiving that when I'm spending time getting to know that relationship. Yeah. And I think that that would be incredibly helpful for people if, if during their struggle, during their chaos, during their failure, if they could just take time to get to know what is bigger than them. I think it, processing it would, would be significantly easier. I wish I had done that earlier. And I think quieting your mind makes space for you to hear that God voice. I've gotten a lot of guidance um, from quieting my mind where I'll have something that comes to me that's pretty powerful. And I'm like, okay, there's no way that that was my thought where I just feel like the right way. Like I had a situation with how to handle the situation with my sister. And I just asked God for guidance and the perfect thing came to me of what I wanted to say. And how it would be received in a loving way. And I was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. So sometimes it's so busy that if you can just take some spare time to just quiet it, and it doesn't always get super quiet for me, and that's okay too. It doesn't take that long of that 15 minutes to to, to get some kind of a, a, I don't know how to put it other than just guidance. That's just another way to look at a situation that gives me peace. So I, I've gone through periods where I've waxed and waned on meditation, but um, this last time I was like, this can't ever be a lapse. This has to be a constant. Well, I think it's irresponsible of us to not explore those tools and have them in our arsenal just for shits and giggles because you it might not work for you but to know that it exists and to say that okay listen to a podcast about it and then to use it i I feel like you're doing yourself and the people that are close to you whether that be your spouse your boyfriend or your children a disservice by not learning about these things like there's just literally nothing for you to lose by not educating yourself on natural ways to calm yourself down to deal with stress um to de-escalate situations i mean it's only going to make you a more well-equipped human being. If people have questions about anything we've talked about, how do would you prefer they contact you? Oh, let's see. Um, you can get me probably the easiest place to message me on Instagram. Um, I'm Jody Lane. I am Jody Lane on Instagram. You can just send me a message. Um, I have my Airbnb is out there, so you can contact me that way if you're interested in taking a look at the B&B and staying here at the property. I do offer yoga and meditation here, so people book sessions if they want to while they're staying. So you can look me up on Airbnb um, and find me that way as well. And then if they really want to have a chat, they can get a hold of you and get my number, and I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything that they want to discuss. I love you too. I've had mentors show up for me in my life, and I um, really enjoy working with other people. Um, so important. I don't think I would be who I am without the different guidance that I got along the way. No, I mean, and that's something that I hope to. I, I don't feel like I've ever had like someone who I've called a mentor and then they knew they were my mentor per se. It's that's such a weird relationship for me because some people are like, yeah, this is my mentor. I'm like, how did you find them? Like, where did you buy them? Yeah. But where did um, you buy them? I, I want, I strive to be that for, for specifically women, not necessarily in my yeah. industry, but I just think that there's so much value you can, we can just share with each other. And for whatever reason, a lot of people don't. You can, you can literally change the trajectory of someone's life 
or you can save them years in your case if you just take them under your wing and spend 10 minutes a week with them just giving them little tips like yeah hey I did this and it took me three years to recover from it how about you not do that and I just gave you three years but I I look at school Susan Ryder, who's like my godmom, you know, I would have never finished school without her. She would be like, time's going by anyway, just take a class. Just take one class. What if you just take a class? Time's going by anyway. Just, why don't you take two classes this time? And then, you know, towards the end, I started taking three classes. And, you know, it took me 27 years, but I got it done. And, you know, just the fact I that she cared. No lie, it took her 27 years. <laughs> for real. It really did. I graduated in 2018. I'm 51. Yeah. It took a minute. But she did it. I got a but she did degree. it. You were like literally the super senior from hell. <laughs> making it my bitch, Kendall. That's what I do. Story of our life. Just making shit our bitch. Making That's shit our right. bitch. But I love you, Jody. What we're doing in cash, too. I love you, too. I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, one. Adiós.